You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. Good morning. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. And um, we're, we're in Advent, as Jason said. We're going through all of the things that uh, kind of summarize who Jesus is. There's no way we could ever scr- get it all, but we can scratch the surface. And so that's what we're doing. We're talking about Jesus is the conquering king. He's the sanctifier. He is the mediator. He is the savior. But today we're talking about he is the sacrificial lamb. And uh, the question that that might bring up for you is why a lamb, right? Um, that's kind of a random thing to decide to be. I don't watch like WWE and they're like, and introducing the lamb, you know, like this is the God of the universe, right? This, a lamb is not like a big, mighty, strong, scary thing. You don't hear about like the superhero, the lamb, like that's not a thing. So why? Um, kind of a churchy concept, right? Uh, There are a lot of churchy words, a lot of churchy concepts, and the only way we can make heads or tails of what those things mean and why they're there is to read our Bibles. And one really important thing to remember when we read our Bibles, and I will scream this till I'm blue in the face because it's super important, but like the first rule of reading your Bible is recognizing that the Bible was written for you. It was not written to you. What do I mean by that? If it was written to you, it would say things like, only use your cell phone this many hours a day, or this is how you get a better credit score, or it would mention cars, or it would mention, like it would be rooted in our time and space, but it's not. It talks about things like lambs and planting seeds and water and bread because it's written to a bunch of nomadic farming, uh, shepherding people thousands of years ago in the desert. And so we get things like water because there's not a lot of water in the desert or we're getting these sheep analogies or we're getting these farming analogies. And like that's why there's so much of this in the Bible. And so we have to take those things and we have to go, okay, what was the point that they were trying to get across to those people? What's God trying to say to those people in that time? And now what can I take from that and apply it to my life? And so we're going to do that a little bit with the lamb today. Why the lamb? I think that answer starts in Genesis. Uh, We start out the Bible. It's a good world. There's no sin yet. Uh, Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, have been created by God. He's placed them in the Garden of Eden. And uh, he's telling them, look, you can eat anything you want in this garden, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you do, you will surely die. Okay, The day you do that, you're going to die. Um, now, this is the part where the serpent comes in. Okay, um, What I want you to think about is serpent equals bad guy. Okay, For the rest of the Bible, that's what we're going to see. By the way, how many people in here like snakes? Yeah, not many. And there's a reason for that, right? They're spooky, they're gross, they're nasty, and they're evil. And so every time we see them in the Bible, we go, ah, that's bad. I don't like that. He's scary. Um, we got to think that every time we see serpent. So was it literal? Is it figurative? I don't know if it's a literal or figurative serpent, 
but I know he's the bad guy, okay? And he says, God told you, you can't eat that because you'll die. He says, no, 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 no. You'll become like God if you eat that fruit. And so Satan convinces Adam and Eve to listen to him rather than God, to give into their own intuition rather than to rely on God. And so what happens is they eat it, and in the moment they eat it, everything changes. They realize that they're naked first and foremost, and so they go hide. They separate from themselves and from God. And then it's like all of this evil, all of this death, all of this sin, and when we say sin, all that word means is to fail or to fall short, that this is invited into their lives, that it's like it seeps into their heart, into their bones, into their muscle fiber. It's like who they are. They can't escape it. They have this natural disposition to disobey God and to rely on their own thoughts at this point. And so God looks at Adam and Eve and he says, okay, well, your guy's life is going to suck now, so congratulations. And he looks at the serpent and he says, and as for you, one day the woman is going to have a son and he is going to crush your head. You're going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to kill you. So the rest of the Bible is the serpent killing the sons of the woman because he knows one day one of them is going to kill him. And so that's why the story from here on is all the sons of the woman. And every single one of them are like, is this our guy? Is this the guy to do it? Nope. He failed. He sinned. And then he dies over and over and over again. And so what happens is we see that evil has just filled the earth, that, that all the humans, all they can think about is doing wrong and sinning. Everything in their hearts is wicked. And so the land has evil rulers and murderers and greed and lust and death. And so God decides, I'm going to develop a line of people that are my people. This is going to be my nation. This is going to be my chosen ones, right? And so he goes to this guy, Abraham, who we've been talking about for weeks now. And he says, you're going to be the father of many nations, and I'm going to have my people raised up through your line. You're going to have all these sons. And so he finally gets his son and God says, I need you to sacrifice him for me. Remember that? He says, you're going to take him up on top of this mountain on Mount Moriah and you're going to sacrifice Isaac for me. And on the way, Isaac's looking around and he's saying, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, don't worry, son. God is going to provide a sacrifice. And so when they get to the top of the mountain, It's time for Abraham to kill Isaac. And God says, no, don't. And they look, and God has provided a sacrifice. There's a ram with its horns caught in the thicket, right? So Abraham knew the heart of God. He understood that God would provide the sacrifice, and he did. But he doesn't realize that he's actually pointing to a greater truth about God, something that's going to unfold time and time again throughout the story, and then it's going to culminate in something big. And so what we see is Abraham's bloodline goes on, right? He has sons through his sons, and they eventually become Israel, right? The people of Israel. And then they get stuck in Egypt as slaves. That's the Moses story. You guys are familiar with the story when they're they're in Egypt as slaves, and God wants to free his people from Egypt. So he sends Moses, 
And through Moses, he uses 10 plagues to force Pharaoh's hand into letting go of his people and letting Israel return to God, right? And so the last plague is the death of the firstborn son. And the only way that your son won't die that night is if you take the blood of a lamb and smear it above your doorpost. And so that night, the angel of the Lord, which is actually God himself when we read the scriptures, um, comes through the village. And every single doorpost that doesn't have the blood of a lamb smeared over it, their firstborn son dies. But the ones where he sees that blood, he passes over that house. And that's where we get the name Passover from for the Jewish, for the Jewish feast. Um, but the idea here is that by smearing that blood of that lamb, you're saying, I'm putting my faith in Yahweh. I'm putting my faith in God that on this night, my household will be passed over by God. It doesn't end there. The, uh, the Jews are eventually freed from, from Egypt after a lot of back and forth and some, some problems. But they end up free people, a free nation under God. But the problem is they have spent the last hundreds of years as slaves. And so they don't know how to be free. They don't know how to make their own decisions. And so God gives them a law to govern themselves, right? Well, that he governs over them. But, but to use this law to live by, to stay close to the heart of God. And the problem is nobody can actually hold up to the law. Nobody can actually complete it. And like we said earlier, sin means to mess up, to fall short. Well, anytime you break the law, you've sinned, right? Well, what are we going to do for that? We need, a, we need something to solve that problem. And so God introduces the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system hinges on two ideas. And here's what I want you to remember. And this is the biggest part about what sacrifices mean, all right? It means two things. The first one is atonement. Big churchy word. Here's what that means. If I steal $5 from you, we're going to have a problem until I pay you back the $5 I stole. Right? That's the only way I can make our relationship right again is if I correct the wrong that I have done. If I make it right again. And so atonement, what's happening there in the sacrificial system is if a person sins, it's like they're partnering with death. They are bringing death and evil and destruction into the world. With each tiny little sin or giant sin we commit, it's death that we're bringing into the world. It's evil. And so God is saying, you brought death into the world. Now you owe me your life. That's the only way to make this right. That one sin brought death into the world. And for that, your life is required of you. But in his grace and his mercy, he gives them a sacrificial system where you can take an animal when you sin and you can say, I'm going to take my sins, my shortcomings, and I'm going to place them on this animal. And now we're going to kill this animal and I'm right with God. That was the, the idea of the sacrificial system. It was to show the need for atonement. But it's also the need for something else. It's the need for purification. That's the other big word. Atonement and purification. The priests in the temple, or in the tabernacle in this case, would take the blood of a lamb, or whatever animal sacrifice, and they would take it, they would dip their fingers in it. And the blood sacrifice, it, it uh, signified life. 
And so the, the priest would go around sprinkling the blood of this animal, right? And that sounds really weird, and it is really weird to us, because once again, we don't live in their context. But to them, that meant life being spread about. Because the idea with sin is, like I said, we partnered with death when we sin. We're partnered with evil. We're bringing that evil into the world. And so we're polluting everything with sin and death and darkness. And so what's happening is this priest is symbolically saying, God is cleaning this place of all this poison that we have brought into it. Right? That's, that's the sacrificial system. But here's the problem. I'm not an animal. You're not an animal. My life is more valuable than an animal's life. Your life is more valuable than an animal's life. And so an animal isn't going to cover it. An animal's not going to be enough. We need something greater. We need a person to die in our place, but not just any person. We need a perfect person to die in our place. So who's that going to be? Enters Jesus right? Good guy, by the way. Serpent, bad guy. Jesus, good guy, just so you're keeping up with me. But we like him. Uh, this is God himself incarnated as a man, born into the world to be this perfect person and to live this perfect life. And so the problem is, at this point in time, Israel is under Roman control. We're way down the line now. We, we were in the desert, you know, some thousand years ago, whatever. Now it's, it's on down the line. Rome has occupied Israel. The Roman government controls the known world at that point in time. And Israel's in the same boat. They're, they're basically slaves to the Roman government. And so Israel is like, we need a Messiah. We need the Savior. That's what Messiah means. We need the Savior, the promised one, the one that's going to come and crush the head of this snake. We need freed. And so Israel's like, waiting for this warrior. They're waiting for this God king to ride in on a white horse and start chopping off heads. Like they want violence. They want save. They want an insurrectionist. They want liberation. And then here's Jesus. And he's kind. And he preaches about repenting of your sin and turning away from doing the wrong thing. And he says, love your enemy, don't hate your enemy. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And it seems like he spends most of his time talking to people about how they can be better and how they can love God better and arguing with the, 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 the religious teachers of the law on where they've been wrong all these years. How is this our guy? And so they crucify him. They kill him. They, they brutally murder him, and it's an agonizing, slow death. And here's the deal. If this were any other son of the woman, if this were just some son of the woman, right? Like every other one before him, this is where our story ends. And it's done. And we're all idiots for sitting in this room together. Because it's pointless. But that's not what happened. Three days later, he rises from the grave because this was the plan the entire time. This was what he planned on the entire time. And I can't help but think as Satan stands there seeing Christ raised from the grave, thinking, 
my head was crushed the whole time. How did I not see it? It's been right in front of me the whole time. Everything has been pointing to this the whole time. God, when, when Abraham's walking up the mountain with Isaac and he says, don't worry, God will provide the sacrifice. How did I not see that was Christ? When, when they were in Egypt and they're smearing the blood of a lamb over the doorpost to protect their children from death, that blood was the blood of Christ. How did I not see it? How did I not see that over all these, these hundreds of years of us in the sacrificial system, killing all these animals, it's so weird and random. Why would he make them do that? Because it was to point to the need of the true sacrifice in Christ. Satan looks dumb. How did he not see it? It was right under his nose the entire time, but God did bring the true sacrifice. He brought the true atonement, the one atoning sacrifice that actually does make God right with man again. The, the only sacrifice that can truly cleanse these dark stone hearts of ours and give us hearts of flesh and blood that beat for truth and life. He is the true sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his unique son. We often say only begotten, but the Greek means unique. His unique son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish. They won't taste death. They won't have to, but they will have eternal life. Here's the deal. If he didn't do all this, and this is what I want you to take away from this. If, if this did not happen, quit coming to church. If this didn't happen, there's no point. If this didn't happen, we're doomed. Life's pointless. But what did happen is that Christ rose from the grave. It did happen. We have life. We can be right with God. We can be different. We don't have to have this disposition towards hate and death and evil. We can want to do what's right now. Something is different in us because of this. It's a simple message, and we've heard it a million times. And here's the deal. If you're bored and knowledgeable, I'll take it. I want us to know Christ. I want us to know what he did. I want to know Christ. I want to know what he did. And I want that to change every single one of us from the inside out so we can go live it into the world. That's what he wanted. That's what he wants. He is the lamb. Takes away the sin of the world. Takes away our old hearts. Gives us new ones. Let's go use them. Here's what, here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Here's what Peter's saying. He says, live out your time here as foreigners, loving people. You don't belong here. You're not of this world anymore. Your heart belongs to Christ now. 
You're, you're seated with him in the heavenly places now. This isn't your home. But live out your time here in fear of the Lord, living righteously. He goes on to say, love each other. And we can do that because the sacrifice provided for us was without blemish. It was God himself, and that changes everything. And so here's what I want you to remember this year. Remember his sacrifice. To live, love, and go like Jesus, remember his sacrifice. Remember it in everything you do. When you're at your Christmas dinner this year and your annoying cousin from out of town or annoying nephew or whatever is there, and they're just talking to you off and you're like, I can't stand this person, please go away. Like, remember this. Christ died for them. And he loves them and he counts them as worthy to, that God would die on their behalf. That calls us to be different. That calls us to think differently about everyone and everything. And the question is, are you allowing God to work through you? Are you allowing God to, to, to reveal himself in you? This is a perfect opportunity this year to be around family and friends. And some of them probably know Jesus and others probably don't. And we got to go out there and we got to spread the gospel this year. So here's the deal. Remember his sacrifice and let's live like we believe that. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.